welcome to a special edition of the Game Theory Podcast. I'm Sam Vecini. Today, Jonathan Macri is going to join me because I woke up to a hell of a surprise today in Australia with OG Ananobi getting traded to the New York Knicks. This has been something that has been rumored as a potential outcome for a little while. Certainly, OG Ananobi signing with CAA over the summer uh, after Omar Wilkes, his old agent, decided to go be a, I believe, vice president of something at Fanatics. Uh, Ananobi signing with CAA created a sense of tea leaves, at least moving forward for the Knicks as it pertains to acquiring him. I didn't expect it in December. Uh, I certainly did not expect a deal between a Toronto Raptors organization and a New York Knicks organization that is currently engaged in real litigation regarding like intellectual property of scouting between the two organizations. I didn't expect anything with this. So I love that we get this. The full deal is OG Ananobi, Precious Achua, Malachi Flynn for Emmanuel Quickly, R.J. Barrett, and a second-round pick going the way of the Raptors. Jonathan Macri is here. Jonathan, what's going on, buddy? Man, uh, you want to talk about could have knocked me over with a feather. Uh, Like you, I am of the belief that for as much as people make a big deal out of December 15th, like trade season maybe begins January 15th, but even then you look back at the last few years and how many deals of consequence really come down before – February, and I was talking to, to someone earlier today about when's the last Knicks move, Knicks trade specifically, that shocked me to the extent that this one did, in part because of the timing and, and maybe a little bit the return, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, I think you got to go back to at least Kristaps, where we went from like uh, the two sides had a meeting and there was a trade requested to uh, he's on his way to Dallas like a half hour later. Or even going back further than that, like the Marbury deal uh, kind of came out of nowhere for me, although kind of learned better once we got wind of Isaiah's ways. But yeah, it's this was pretty wild, for sure. It's definitely pretty wild. I am excited to talk about this, especially because yesterday I recorded a podcast, and my big overarching takeaway with the Knicks was I actually don't know what direction that they should go. That's how I started the 22-minute segment that we did on the Knicks. I was like, look, I'm going to be completely transparent. I'm not sure what they should do right now because my big overarching thing for them is that they shouldn't just be making a trade to make a trade. They should be only focused on deals that further their potential to get a number one guy. I know that there has been all this crazy conversation about Jalen Brunson because of Becky Hammond's statement that he can't be a number one guy on a championship team. I don't really care to get into that because I'm just good with taking Jalen Brunson on his merits. I think it's very clear, though, that they need somebody in that all NBA echelon at the very least in order to take the next step as an organization into real NBA title contendership. Now. I think this deal actually like accomplishes that in a really interesting way, despite the fact that I don't necessarily love the value, but I'll preface that and kind of give you the table here. What did you think of this deal when you first saw it? And then have your thoughts evolved after you've seen the deal? I mean, first, let me just say you will not find anyone. Um, and this is not a this is not an unbiased take. This is completely biased to someone who gets to root for this guy and has had more fun rooting for him than any player, honestly, since I was a kid rooting for Patrick Ewing. Um, I love Jalen Brunson. Uh, but if he was to be 
the best player on a team that won a title, it would be bucking, you know, 50, whatever, however many years you want to go back with the exception. Yes, there's one. There's the one. one. And that's the question, honestly, ironically, that I've gotten most from people who uh, follow me and I interact with uh, over the last few years, which is, can we be our version of the 04 Pistons? And my response is like, I I don't really know how to answer that because as currently constituted, no, I don't think this team can be. Is there some crazy world where maybe it happens? Whatever. We don't have to talk about that right now. Let's focus on the the deal at hand. And for me, it is impossible to talk about the parties to this transaction without talking about the context that both of them are leaving and that both of them are entering into. So for Emmanuel, quickly, obviously we know, you know, obviously, Tom Thibodeau, and I think most coaches would, because I don't want to single him out, has issues with the notion of going all in on a backcourt of two guards that are the size that they are, even for as gifted an off-ball defender as Emmanuel quickly is. Um, So that always kind of limited, I think, his potential here. What would be the ideal for a situation for an Emmanuel quickly going alongside a jumbo initiator where he could be the nominal point guard, but at the same time, watch Scotty Bonds do what a handful of guys in the league could do with that kind of physical makeup and those, those sorts of abilities. So that checks that box. And then on the Knicks end, and this kind of veers into the territory we were just touching on your 10 poles right now are Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall. I think Brunson's here for the long term. Can they eventually, you know, flip Randall and whatever for whomever again, maybe a conversation for a later day, But if you're trying to maximize what you have right now while still keeping your powder dry, I cannot think of a better player to fit in between those two, in part given the other um, constrictions of the New York roster, which is obviously very guard-heavy, than OG Ananobi and what he brings on the defensive end. And I think the offensive part is maybe a little bit more interesting, but that's why for me – even if you, I think it's a fair argument to say that quickly turns out to be the best player involved in this deal. I'm a big fan of it from that perspective for the Knicks. Yeah. So I, I want to be clear whenever I say what I'm about to say here. I think that the best asset in the deal is probably quickly. If I'm being completely honest, like I, I think Emmanuel quickly is going to morph into an absolute dude in Toronto, it has like a very real chance to be an all-star. If you look at Emmanuel Quickly's numbers as a starter last season, he started 21 games for the Knicks. He averaged 22 points, five rebounds, five assists in those games with a 60-plus true shooting percentage. Anytime the Knicks have asked him to expand his role in a real way, he's been able to do it, and I think he's going to be an absolute stud in Toronto. I get this from the Knicks' perspective. I do. And the reason that I get this is that ultimately – from a future planning perspective, having OG and Anobi next to Jalen Brunson makes more sense, in my opinion, if you're trying to chase a star than having Emmanuel Quickly and RJ Barrett next to Jalen Brunson. Yeah. I think it becomes a more attractive situation for potential free agents, for potential trade targets that come available. I think it makes more sense for the Knicks to have this roster construction moving forward. The other box that it ticks for the Knicks is that 
it really helps them right now, I think, on the defensive yeah. end of the court. Since yeah. the Mitchell Robinson injury, and I don't have the numbers, including last night's game against Orlando, but going they're, into they're last high. night's game against <laughs> Orlando, <high. laughs> it was a 122.9, I believe, defensive rating since Mitchell Robinson went down on December 8th, and that's 27th in the NBA. Yeah. Getting OG and Anobi, and frankly, another big body who is athletic and who can defend in Precious Achua, who, sure. look, not the biggest part of this deal. We need to be very clear about that. But a guy that I think might come relatively cheaply this coming offseason because he was kind of out of the Raptors rotation and everything. While Isaiah Hartenstein, who in my opinion has been one of the two best backup bigs in the NBA along with oh, yeah. Nas Reed this yeah. season, hits free agency having somebody that could be like cost controlled while you have restricted free agency rights over him behind Mitchell Robinson, who plays so hard and so physically that I don't think he's ever really going to stay a hundred percent healthy and play 82 games in a season in his career. That's just being completely transparent. Having a real backup center option long-term I think is a huge like win for them. If precious can prove that he can actually play that role. That remains to be seen if he can do that, but he's an interesting flyer to take, in my opinion, at least defensively for a team that could use it. So I think that it actually ticks team need boxes for the Knicks right now, in addition to creating interesting sustainability outcomes long term. Yeah, I I don't know that the Mitch injury, and for anybody who may not be aware, he went out 10 games ago. Uh, By the time you're listening to this, it'll probably be 11 games ago because they're they're playing the Pacers in about 40 minutes. like, I don't know that it impacted whether they would have made this deal or not. I think they still, honestly, I think they still would have made the deal. But the fact that I think they are far enough along, regardless of what you think of the wisdom of this path that Leon Rose took to build this team in this way, which I'm not sure was ever really up to him because James Dolan was never going to okay any kind of a remote tank job. But again, conversation for a different day. Um, like they were not going to punt this season. So we see what the results have been on defense without Mitch. I adore Isaiah Hardenstein. He's doing yeoman's work out there night after night. And you're not the only person I'm a bigger fan of than Jalen Brunson is Taj Gibson. Taj Gibson might be might be my favorite mix since the nineties, <laughs> but we could call a spade a spade. It, it, the, the the ship has has probably sailed. Yeah. So I completely agree with your Achua take. Um and you know, just in terms of what owner Ananobi means and how he fits in, I and I don't want this to come off as me diminishing what Emmanuel quickly means on the defensive end. The on-off numbers, I think sometimes on-off numbers a little bit too much can go into them. I think the fact that Emmanuel Quickly has come off the bench so much over the last few years factors in ever so slightly to the on-off data, especially when one of the other people involved in this trade, RJ Barrett just so happens to have some not-so-great on-off numbers that follow him around, and he's often with the starting five. Put that aside for a moment. I don't want to diminish quickly his impact on defense, but there was already a logjam on this roster. I went and did the calculations before the season after they made the DiVincenzo signing official, and they were essentially, if you go by how many minutes these guys played last year, they were about 25 minutes over in terms of like taking what the, the minutes those guys play and what, how many minutes are there to be had um, yeah. in an NBA game. So that's essentially a full rotation player. 
which they have lost in this trade, ostensibly, with, again, Quickly and, and Barrett going out and Ananobi coming in, they are somewhat equipped to make up for that. Um, between DiVincenzo and Grimes, who's you know an interesting name in all this. Uh, I'd be curious to see. He's not playing tonight, unfortunately, because he has a non-COVID illness. I, I don't even know if he's going to be long for this team because th- there was a report out there from Ian Bagley, who's great, um, that, that maybe the Knicks are not done yet, which maybe you want to get into that. But they have the bodies right now, I think. And when you add Ananobi to the mix, I think it really is going to help them a lot. Yeah, it's interesting. Like the Knicks have bodies in the top nine. And then once you get beyond like the top nine, 10, 11 guys, it's yeah. like they have a lot of like open roster spots, frankly. Yeah. It's probably a rude way to put it, but they, they no, have the potential to like use both of their picks, like this draft that they have. Like they have two picks between like 15 and 22, let's call it. Like they actually could realistically roster two rookies if they can't make a move sure. before then. We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla Minus One recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan. And you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon Prime or something to be able to watch it. So... When I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions, just head to nordvpn.com slash gametheory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y, to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash gametheory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash gametheory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Ultimately, what this comes down to is something similar to what you're saying. I I think that they, A, were pretty well set for a consolidation move. And B, when making a consolidation move, what you have to consider is 
it is really valuable to have one player that can play on both ends of the court in a substantial way and open up potential situations for acquisitions, you know, across the board. Right. And what this deal comes down to entirely for me, for the Knicks perspective is this very simple question. And I'll be interested to hear how you answer it. Would you rather have OG and Anobi for $35 million a year? Let's call it something in that ballpark. Or would you rather have RJ Barrett and Emmanuel quickly for 55 to $60 million a year? When you also still have to go out and find another star in addition to those guys. I think where I'm at, and I'll be interested to hear your take on this. I think I would just rather have Ananobi at the lower number, despite the fact that Emmanuel quickly and RJ Barrett are good players in some respect. They're, they're really, really effective guys in, you know, some respects Barrett limited in other respects. There are a lot of different ways we can talk about that, but like, I think I would rather have the one player when they still aren't done actually building this roster, which I think is the key to all of this. And and this kind of gets back to me, what I was kind of saying before, um, which is, were you going to find a team that placed as much value on acquiring Emmanuel quickly as the Raptors seem to have placed on acquiring him here. And I don't know how you look at this transaction any other way, considering the fact that there is not a single first round pick involved in the deal. It's going to be probably the best second rounder of this year, but it's still, I mean, it's whatever. It's a 31st pick in the draft has value, but it's, it's not a first. It's God knows it's not a distant unprotected first, which is what, you know, some of the thought process was originally in terms of what OG might, might fetch. So there's that part of it. And then interestingly enough for me, there's the RJ piece. And I should say outright, I agree with your stance. I'd rather have had you know, I don't know, be at his number than, than these two guys at their number. You know, RJ has been. <laughs> I did. Yeah, let, my, let's my do this. The, the RJ Barrett <laughs> in New York, like moratorium, or uh, not moratorium, like memoriam here. Like, yeah. what, what do we think of how this went? So I have a list of questions about RJ Barrett that exists today in the soon to be the year of our Lord 2024. They are not altogether different from the list of questions I had about R.J. Barrett in the year of our Lord 2019 when he it literally like there, there has been an, uh, a worldwide pandemic and these questions have not been answered. <laughs> uh, I mean, it should be obvious, but like, can he shoot it uh, consistently? Uh, you know, is there enough? Even given the volume of his driving, which is the one elite thing he does, the man knows how to get downhill. Is there ever going to be enough of a rim finishing efficiency? And more importantly for me, and I think a lot of Nick fans, from a de- decision making and playmaking perspective um, on what he does on those drives, which my goodness, and uh, that's why I can't help but laugh because to some extent during his eight really, really strong playoff games, very strong after the first two against Cleveland and before the last clunker against Miami, the eight games in between really outstanding. And then the first seven games this year, before he went down with migraines for a little bit more than a week, like there were moments of his processing and decision-making where we were like, Oh my goodness, is this it? Is it finally here? And I, uh, you know, a lot of people bought it. I was even starting to buy it. 
And I can't for the life of me explain how in the 16 games since he's come back, or maybe it's 17 now, I, 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 Sam, I promise you I watch these games with, I, with a yeah. pretty close eye, and a, I, I don't know where it has gone. And it leaves me just wondering, like, how, you know, it's the middle of year five. You know, he was, he's about to cross 10,000 minutes as an NBA player. So, and there's some other things, like, and last thing I'll say quickly, like, defensively, he has had an up-and-down career. I have never myself gotten the sense that he is going to be the sort of impact defender you need at that spot. A guy who is like, I mean, I don't know how else to put this. The other team, like if another team has a, has a big time wing that that wing is going to look at RJ and be like, man, I got my work cut out for me tonight. I just don't feel that way. And reasonable minds may differ there. I don't, I have never gotten that sense. Uh, I think he's the exact guy that you want defending the second best perimeter option on a team, sure, which is valuable and useful. You don't want him on the number one guy, unless it's like a super powerful physical guy that is going to try and like go through his chest because RJ is so strong and physical himself that he can like, at least disrupt that guy from getting to the basket at least right yeah. man it, it, it's hard because i totally agree with everything you just said like the number one thing that has frustrated me you know and i've probably watched like nine Knicks games this year i'm not going to sit here and tell you like i've watched every minute of rj barrett this year i'm not going to even remotely pretend to but it stood out like abundantly to me on christmas right like you watch it oh my god and that was a game where like in the first quarter he played or uh, first like maybe 15 minutes quarter. of the game he was awesome yeah. He was like incredible. He was downhill, made a couple of threes. Like he was amazing. And then throughout the rest of that game, it was just like, well, okay. He's just like recklessly downhill, like head down, not figuring out where he needs to go. And it's whatever it is, say it's making kickouts, being able to figure out live dribble passing, being able to be more patient, keep guys on his hip and stop and draw defenders. He's good at keeping guys on his hip. But he yeah. doesn't actually draw the big toward him, I think, or draw any sort of help toward him in a dangerous way, which ends up resulting in these like de- these terrible like inside hand, left hand attempts at the rim and all this bullshit that he does. And that's the biggest thing that he needs to fix. If he fixed that, yeah, I think yep. he's okay enough as a shooter to where it'd be okay. Like he's not gonna burn the nets down or anything, but if you're able to be like a unbelievable rim pressure threat, like he is, and you can make your shots at the rim, you know what? He's probably, I don't know what the numbers are right now, but like I see he's making 47% of his two point shots right now. Like it's an insanely low number for somebody who's that strong in that. I want to say it's around 57 or 58 at the rim, but Mm -hmm. I'll confirm that. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you could actually be like the aggressive, consistent, rim pressure guy that is actually able to make shots consistently at the basket it it changes his game entirely if he can just make decisions off of those plays so that's it for me like that that's what they're gonna figure out and in toronto like it's an even more interesting situation right now because like this this is not a good fit i think on the court for rj barrett as this roster is presently constructed now i I think they're gonna make some other moves and we'll see what it looks like but like Scotty Barnes, Pascal Siakam, Jakob Pertl, all kind of in that area. Scotty's improved as a shooter. You know, Pascal has been really good over the course of the last little while. You can space in different ways other than shooting. Like you don't just need shooting. And I think Darko has done some interesting 
things this year, even though their half court offense has not been very good. Like, I think there's just going to be a lot of bodies in the paint right now for RJ drives and he's going to really have to shoot it from three. I think to be effective there right now, it's, it's really interesting because they need a secondary creator next to quickly and next to quickly in Barnes. Uh, but like, I don't, I don't know what this looks like for him right now. I mean, the, I think, I think the vision is for to place between quickly and Barnes I I kind of feel like that player should be, if not an elite shooter, don't you yeah. feel like it needs to, they need to be up there? I mean, they just invested what they invested in Pirtle. Obviously, teams shift course all the time. Um, and, yeah. you know, Pirtle is, is what he is. He's a, he's a nice player. I'll be- well, and the other thing about Pirtle is I think he's an amazing fit with Quickly because the thing that Quickly does really, really oh, yeah. well is he knows how to manipulate screeners yep. at an exceptional level. Like you watch him Absolutely. play with Hartenstein particularly. Like Hartenstein is like a, a, an unbelievable screener in terms of like using his frame and twisting and rescreening and, and doing all sorts of these little things to get his guard separation. Pirtle is also an expert at that. Like it, it's going to be a really, really fun combination watching those two, I think, interact together. I mean, it, it, I don't know if we need how deep we need to get into this, but like, it, it quickly Trent makes some sense as a starting two now alongside quickly um, bar obviously as until Siakam is traded uh, Siakam is going to start. So unless I got, could they, I mean, they could start RJ at the two. Mm, I don't know how I would feel about that. Not that it matters. I would, but. I would bet you they start RJ at the two to begin this too. thing. Yeah, And then like Gary Trent's also expiring at the end of the year, you know, Pascal, we'll see what that looks like on the trade market, et cetera. We'll, we'll see how this all goes, right? Like a, their roster is not complete much like the Knicks roster is not complete. Yeah. I think at this point, uh, I, but I, I think they'll probably start RJ to start this. I, I think whole thing. the long and the short of it is, I think it's a great, it's a great bet, right? If he's ever going to succeed, he loved being in New York. But he's obviously from Canada, and if you would think that if he's ever going to succeed somewhere, uh, maybe going home and where I, I would say without the pressure of New York, but there's a I mean, is the pressure of an entire country on you any any easier? I you know I, we'll, we'll see what the comfort level does there. Um, you know what the weird I, thing is about him though? I think the pressure but, doesn't bother him. Like yeah, it's fair. he's That's always fair. been great in big moments like he plays well in the playoffs bizarrely like he plays better in the playoffs than he does in the regular season going back to like canada stuff like he plays better for team canada like i don't know if it's the pressure that gets to him i think it's like i I don't know know what it is like i haven't been around (laughs) like i don't know I, i haven't either um i mean he's super professional and he never lets on if he's struggling why he's struggling What I'll say is I had come around kind of recently to a position of, okay, if you have a guy that has his skill set and the shooting never, um, never does stabilize, isn't he maybe an ideal six man for the right team in the right spot? Um, and I wonder maybe that's the, the long term. Um, then again, I know he doesn't see himself that way. Uh, and who knows? Maybe he maybe he goes there and he thrives and the shooting stabilizes and he makes my last comment look utterly ridiculous. It could I, it, nothing would surprise me, honestly. Yeah, 
No, I mean, he, he's a professional. Like, he really goes at it. Like, that's always been the thing about him. Like, he is a dude that is always, always, always going to bring his best, like, every night. And he's going to work at it. And he cares just for whatever reason. Like, the the thinking part of it hasn't yeah. quite come yet on the court. Uh, another A place I want to go to now is just, like, Emmanuel Quickly in general. Sure. And... When I watch Emmanuel quickly, I see a dude that I think is like unbelievable in ball screens, an incredible ball screen scorer. What do you think of the passing? Because that's ultimately where I think he needs to take the next step. He is 26 assists in 30 games this season on three pointers. When he passes, it's often jump stop, you know, survey, kick out, or it's to cutters, to rollers, pocket passes, things like that. And that that's where the next step for him is. Like he needs to be able to make those live dribble passes and make those plays, I think, uh, for his teammates. So this is not all on him uh, because it's him and our, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, the Knicks, the way they run the rotations are um, one of Brunson or Randall. Usually Randall will stay in for the entire first quarter, but those, those guys will play the majority of the first quarter. RJ will go out early. Quickly comes in the middle of the first quarter, and then RJ and Quickly combine to run New York's uh, backup units without either one of Brunson or Randall for four, five minutes at a time. Um, those lineups this year, and this is what what I was saying before. This is not all on Quickly. Um, have the ball has got a bit sticky at times, and uh, looking at Quickly's assist number, he was seventeen point seven assist percentage last year. In, with basically the same sort of usage type usage type of usage this year, he's down to fifteen point one. Um, I am not going to begrudge him that, as he knows he is playing for a contract. He's still playing for a contract, as he was last year, and he still does not have that contract. So, I I will say this: I do not think his his passing has progressed from last season, and I think last season despite the fact that his assist percentage actually went down from year two to year three, I think there were some real signs of progress last year yeah, in meaningful ways. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I want to try to give him the benefit of the doubt. Like he has become deadly from the mid range. Like early on when he first came into the league, like the floater was like this cute thing, but even then the numbers on it were like, eh, it's, you know, it's efficient enough to justify taking it. But I also wasn't like totally sold on that. Like this year, he is 48% from mid range. He's 40% on long twos. He was 34% on long twos uh, last year. He's all, all via cleaning the glass, by the way. So, like, I kind of get that he's calling his own number a little bit more because the dude is like, the dude could score. Um, yeah. The one thing I will say is that against the best teams and unlike RJ Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly did not have a good playoffs last year. He, right. he missed the end of the Miami series with an injury, but even before that he struggled. And I think against teams with um, a little bit more length and against teams that like key in on him and know how valuable and he, how, how, how important he is. And when he gets going, the Knicks get going. Um, he has struggled a little bit. Now he's a fourth year player. He's still young. He's gotten better every step of the way. There's no reason to think he cannot continue improving, and that includes the passing as well. So, I, I mean, I'm with you on the upside. I think he has all-star upside. Um, I, And yet, as I say that, having watched him for three and a half years, like 
I'm comfortable with this move uh, for all the reasons we talked about. Like, I, I do not have, let me put it this way. I don't have the fear that we're going to be looking, or I'm going to be looking up in a year or so and seeing a Jalen Brunson-esque situation with like what yeah. Brunson is doing with the Knicks. I don't think we're quite at that level with quickly. I, I, I think it could look different than Jalen. Like Jalen, okay. I don't think quickly is going to be like a 28 point per game scorer, like what Jalen has been recently. Right. But I, I think like quickly could be like a 24 point per game scorer with like so five assists per game. That isn't a real problem defensively. Like Jalen, we have to figure out whatever you can do defensively to like, you know, make that work. Emmanuel, you don't really figure out that side of the court as much because he's so long and yeah. so good at dealing with guys up the lineup a little bit better. And, yeah. you know, he's fine. He's pretty good at the point of attack. I think he deals a little bit better with guys up the lineup, but he's a good defender at the end of the day. So I, I think it will look different than Jalen, but sure. I do think like this could be like an all-star caliber point guard. And even still, I think this is fine. For the Knicks, yeah. like even still, I think that I think that highly like put it this way. If I was making a headline about this trade, I would say this is the Emmanuel quickly trade like to me personally, like okay. I, I actually think he's the guy in this deal. But I still think this is fine for the Knicks because of what their roster construction is right now. Like, I think this is a win. like basically what I'm leading toward is this is a win win to me. Like this kind of makes sense across the board to me as somebody that is trying to understand where these teams are going. It depends as you open the show with, with what the Knicks do from here. The reason why I am really pretty high on their process here and we'll see the eventual outcome turns out to be is that like what I said before, I think they needed this type of player. And how often do these players become available? Uh, and if another one of this ilk did become available, what are the odds that that team would want and need Emmanuel quickly as much as it seems like the Raptors um, need and want him? Yeah. So I, but and again, the time not, is running now too, as well. Well, quickly and, gets expensive. It, exa- well, not only that, but like, like the Knicks are not even in the first apron right now. Like that, that train was, was getting close to the station. Like this summer, there was yeah. going to be some, and look, they still have to pay OG, obviously. Um, and there's some other decisions that they have to make, which will impact like Isaiah Arnstein, you just mentioned before, he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. I think they'd very much like to have him back. Um, Grimes, if he doesn't go out on another deal, they could extend him this summer. So there's, there's some different moving pieces, but I think this puts them at more of a position of strength to approach whatever comes next. And like, I'm, I mean, again, this is the fan in me coming out. I'm excited to see what these three guys could do together. I don't uh, with Bronson and Randall. I, I don't pretend like this is some sort of like great fit. I don't know. That's part of the challenge, right? Like what is the perfect fit between these two particular players who have more value with the ball in their hands than not in their hands, you know? Um, OG likes to have the ball in his hands, whether he should or shouldn't. That's part of the aspect of this trade that we have to consider. But I don't know. I'm excited to see what it looks like and um, obviously what what they end up doing from here. Yeah, so I do want to finish kind of on two things. Let's start with where the Knicks go from here. Because again, as we opened with, 
this trade is about the next move to me almost as much as it's about this move for Ananobi. Sure. I personally do not think that guy is out on the market right now. Like if I'm looking around, like I, I don't think the DeJounte Murray thing is a good idea. Uh, yeah. I, I don't think that, yeah, Pascal Siakam makes a whole lot of sense unless it's just like flipping him for Randall in some way. Like, I, I don't know who the guy is on the market right now that makes this work for the Knicks as a number one. I think that doing this keeps you flexible long term in order to have the salary flexibility, continue to have the pick capital that you need to make a superstar deal. Is there a name out there? that you're looking at where you're like, okay, I hope this guy comes available. Like the obvious name is Joel Embiid, but like, let's assume that Joel is not going to come available here momentarily. This is the tough part because there is none. I mean, people will bring up Donovan Mitchell's name. I, the notion of bringing in another guy who was a small guard, who was a defensive liability. Now, I think Mitchell obviously is an offensive individual creator is, I mean, freaking brilliant, but is that again with his concerns that he brings in terms of like, how much is his equity when he does not have the ball? Like what, how is he, how is he amplifying Brunson and Randall? How are Brunson and Randall amplifying him or vice versa? You know, some anything in that discussion. So I don't know that that is like the obvious answer, even if it may be the most, it, it may be one that comes to, to fruition down the line. Um, I mean, the guy that – it's never going to happen, but the guy that I'd be sure interested to see reunite with his Villanova teammates is, is playing across the river uh, in McCall Bridges uh, in Brooklyn. Now, it's not a perfect positional fit, but – and he's not a superstar. But, again, going back to my little dream world of the recreating the 4 Pistons, I'd, I'd be curious to see what that would look like. But, again, that's that's not going to happen because those teams have a trade. Yeah, that'd be amazing. Like you pair Mikael Bridges and OG and Anobi on the wing defensively. That's just like absolutely fucking terrifying to me. <laughs> yeah. The name that the names I'm kind of wondering about are if you look forward toward this summer, could you pry one of Paul George or Kawhi Leonard, both of whom are free agents? Because those are the two guys to me that like elevate this thing, especially, I mean, God, if you got fucking Kawhi Leonard, it's Kawhi Leonard, right? Like he's still one of the five best players in the league if I had to win a playoff game tomorrow. But that's like, those are, those are the guys that like make this make sense in some way to me. Uh, And you'd have to like sign and trade and do like all sorts of weird stuff, obviously, because the Clippers have a lot of flexibility after this year. But like, those are the names where like, you know, Joel Embiid, I I think is going to be tough because Tyrese Maxey is blown up and, uh, you know, they're sitting here and they're in quite a strong position, right? Uh, it, it's hard to find the team that's going to like explode. Like, I don't know if you want to go down the Zion Williamson road right now. Like that's the only other, it's the only other name that we haven't talked about. Um, yeah. And like, and I have, I've gone back and forth on Zion. So I'll say something now that I'm sure somebody watching or listening can go back and find something contrary that I've said recently. Cause I don't, <laughs> he's I mean, he, I don't know how you're supposed to evaluate him as a player, as an asset, as, as a whatever yeah. he is, as a Zion. Um, putting that aside, the nice thing about the clip, the idea of a Clippers trade is you looking at what their priorities might be 
because it's still in an LA market. Um, and so if you did get all of New York's picks, if you're the Clippers, you have, I think, some confidence that some player at some point in time is going to demand to be traded to your team because you're LA and those picks are going to have real value. So there's an outline of a trade there. I mean, the money is a little bit tougher because like, other than picking up Fournier's option, like basically you're talking about including Randall, which like, Hey, maybe that makes sense. And like Randall already played in LA. Maybe he wants to go back to LA. Like there's, and especially given what they've had to deal with over the last several years of guys who are um, perhaps not the most consistent in terms of showing up and playing every night. If there's one thing that Julius Randall does is show up and play every night. So do they, would they value that in terms of like Randall's fit with like Harden and whichever one of those two remained. And that gets into more complex issues, but well, I think that what happens there is either both of them stay or neither of them stay. That's, well, that's interesting. Okay. That's it. Like, I, didn't, I didn't consider that. that that's, that's not like, to, to be clear, that's not informed on like any level yeah, you know, of sourcing. That's just like strategically, if I'm them, like I'm either keeping both of them or I'm blowing it up. Right. Or you just punt it. Okay. Right. And you punt it. So I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to come up with ideas here. Like <laughs> I'm, I'm a solutions man. That's the goal. <laughs> but, but look, this is... <laughs> You know, we, there's a joke around Knicks fans like, you know, Leon, Leon Rose is like the Don, right? Uh, operates in, in the shadows and silence. Um, this is the business that he's chosen uh, from day one when he hired Tom Thibodeau, almost day one, when he hired Tom Thibodeau, when, as best as I could tell, there was never any thought given to trading Julius Randle when he was just starting out on that first All-NBA season. Um it, the, the 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 end point was we're eventually going to trade for someone that's going to put us over the top. And like, yeah. I've been critical of him and his team at times over the years, but he's brought them this far. And like, man, I don't have to tell you where they were in the in yeah. the, the, the depths of darkness. So like, I, you know, beggars can't be choosers. I'm I'm on board for the ride, foolishly or otherwise. I, I'm 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 pretty cool with where we're at right now. And um, but. You know what? Now you kind of still have to hope, right? That that something transpires that is maybe not in your control. Yeah, I think Leon Rose has done a great job. Like I'll I'll just flat out like say it full stop. I think he's done a great job. He's made the Knicks like the goal was to make the Knicks a destination organization in some respect. Again, he's done that. Like anytime you hear something, it's you know OG Ananobi wants to go to the Knicks. You know there are rumors about Donovan Mitchell wanting to go to New York, right? And I think he's done a good job of building organizational trust again, building organizational competency again, and setting them up to be able to go find that next guy. The last thing I want to finish on is, hey, Malachi Flynn, kind of interesting. Just want to be clear about that. Like, (laughs) interesting point guard who, you know, has been in Toronto's rotation here for a little bit of time now. If you go from November 11th through December 20th, played 18 minutes a night, 5.7 points per game, shot you know, not all that great from the field, but he plays hard defensively, makes good decisions. You know, they could use a backup point guard at this point. I'd imagine it's going to be like an all out war between him and Deuce McBride now. We'll see what happens there, but there's going to be a real opportunity there for him. Uh, I mean, do you have any closing thoughts here on this deal that we haven't gotten to? Not really. I mean, I, I remember uh, after one Raptors game in particular, during Flynn's and Quickly's rookie seasons, because they both were in the same draft class, and the Knicks, um, I think, could have could have drafted Flynn, uh, but they took Quickly instead. I think it was a game that maybe Quickly didn't play well, and Flynn was like lighting it up from deep, 
And that night uh, on on the post game that I did, fans were like, "Man, we could have had Malachi Flynn instead of Emmanuel Quickly. How stupid are the Knicks?" <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see him. I like Deuce. There are people in the fan base that love Deuce. Um, and like, look, when he does what he does on, like, you can't teach what that dude does on the defensive yeah. end. His, like, you look at his deflections for 36 minutes, um, and he's a guy that, like. I mean, you're not having him guarding like, you know, like threes and fours like on the other team. But you as as opposed to what I was saying about RJ Barrett before, you feel deuce when he is guarding you. And I think, you know, it's it's the same question for a lot of guys who have those sorts of skill sets. Can he ever shoot it with some consistency? And I think the one thing that I will give a bone to for the people that are really big supporters of, of his, he's never really gotten that long a leash like he's had stints in their rotation last year he had like a fairly extended stint in their rotation and like the numbers were fine uh as a team he did not shoot it great individually so i mean he needs to shoot it if he shoots it that's that's great um and it's his job otherwise i could see tibbs going with flint yeah my my concern with this is just that they actually now kind of need a second unit guy to like run the offense as opposed to <clears throat> bringing what Deuce does particularly, which is like hound dudes defensively and just make life miserable. So yep. I-, I think it's going to be interesting to track. Cause and, I also was, and, I was a big Deuce fan. Uh, I remember. <laughs> and one yeah. more thing on that. That's, that's a little interesting quirk to all of this. Uh, another thing fans have been clamoring for since they got him at the beginning of last year is using Isaiah Hardenstein more in the role that he was in, in LA as more of a, you know, top of the post facilitator. We've seen a little bit more of that this year. Um, Not anywhere to be clear, close to the extent that it was in LA, but it's an interesting conundrum because we figure as a hard side, still going to start obviously with, with Mitchell Robinson out. So how, is there going to be a finagling of the minutes to make sure to try to get Hardenstein more with the backup unit to give him more of that responsibility? I don't know. It's just a little wrinkle that I'm one of the, one of the million things that I thought about today is a processing this trade. <laughs> I love Jonathan, tell the people where they can find your work. Tell the people what's going on, everything along those lines. Sure. Um, first of all, I, again, thanks so much for having me on. Uh, it's pretty surreal when you get to go on a pod of someone that you uh, listen to, <laughs> Uh, religiously before you ever started doing podcasts or writing about basketball or anything of that. Um, so you follow me on Twitter, although I don't really tweet that much anymore because I've kind of sort of opted out of Twitter, but I'm at JC Macri NBA on there. And then just search up Knicks Film School. That's the big one. Um, if you uh, if you want uh, YouTube post games, if you want instant trade analysis, if you want a weekly analysis of the Knicks, uh, Nick's Film School on YouTube, and then my personal Substack is just uh, again Nick's Film School uh, Substack. Put that in Google; you'll be taken right to my page. And uh, I do that five days a week, and love writing it. And um, the podcast, yeah, Nick's Film School podcast—that's the other one. So, podcast, YouTube, newsletter, all the things. To be clear, uh, so this was like a forty-minute deep dive, and I think we touched on everything. Uh, John, Jeremy, all those guys over at Nick's Film School. They went for three and a half hours today, earlier. I didn't about go that whole time. I stayed on for the first hour of change. Yeah, it was a mix. But they were on for a while. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we so, put in the time. <laughs> if you want to deep dive into everything Knicks, go follow Knicks Film School. They do a great job. Uh, this has been the Game Theory Podcast. Please remember, rate, review, subscribe. Do everything you can to support the show. Uh, we'll be back, like I said, like 
Tuesday, Monday, something like that. Uh, probably Tuesday at this point, given that New Year's Day is coming. Uh, it's New Year's Eve here in Australia. So uh, I will hopefully be logging off after I write my thing, scouting everything with this deal. Uh, keep tuned in here. We'll be back. Until next time, we'll talk soon.